welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. And she is key makeup artist and teacher Prudence Olenek. Getting into it and understanding a lot of people who when they're first beginning, I invite them to set. And I say, don't wear heels because, you know, nobody's going to be impressed by that and you might be crawling up a side of a mountain. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? Oh yeah, when we work, we work long hours. You do what you have to and you get as many skill sets as you can in this industry. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining me via Skype is your co-host, Fred Keating. I'm in Edmonton, Canada today. This is a wonderful city. We really love it here, and we have some great stories to tell from Edmonton. It's in Western Canada. Fred is in Vancouver, Canada, out on the West Coast. And Fred, uh, well, I'm in the room, actually in the studio of our special guest today. Tell us who we have. I wish I was there with you because you're talking to an old friend of mine who I've actually let touch my face upon occasion, and she is key makeup artist and teacher Prudence Olenek, uh, who I hope is going to share with us some of the uh, parties and perils she's encountered over her years as she's carved out a career for herself in makeup in film and television. Welcome, Prudence, and thanks for being with us. Thanks, Fred. When did this all start for you, your journey into the uh, world of arts and creative activities. How old were you when the bug first bit? Well, the bug wasn't makeup, actually, when I first started. It was acting, and I graduated from a Catholic high school. I didn't like the arts program there, so went to an arts high school here in Edmonton called Vic Comp performing arts and a lot of actors have come out of that program. After two years of that I auditioned for the National Theatre School, for the University BFA program and for Studiate in Vancouver and then I was accepted by the U of A and Studio 58. U of A fell through and I went off to Vancouver, took the two-year program and worked as an actor for about for three, four years, got my equity card, toured some stuff, and then I was always fascinated in the approach to characterization that an actor goes through so that they can make themselves look like, for instance, Mrs. Grigson in Shot of a Gunman, an older woman, blinding and whatnot. What do I think she looks like? And I researched schools, L.A., of course, and that cost far too much. Germany, uh, New York, and London, England. And I've always loved London, England for their approach to theater, film, whatnot, because it's more ensemble. And I ended up being accepted to a school in London, England called Grease Paint. And that was the entree into the fabulous world of makeup. Yeah. I mean, when I was in theater school, I had uh, Jan Newman, who came in and taught us age makeup and basic stage makeup, and I found that fascinating. But I was never a girly girl, so to speak, and loved to put makeup on. I just wasn't that. It was more the approach of character. And then you went from 
that to, in fact, putting makeup on others to help them uh, with their character definition. Yes, as I call it, my canvas is a bumpy service with attitude. (laughs) So you've become really quite well known in this space in the uh, production business in this part of Canada. Tell us about some of the projects that you worked on, maybe one or two that you're particularly proud of. The assassination of Jesse James, 100 Days in the Jungle, which we won the Gemini for that year where we shot that down in Costa Rica. The television series Fear Itself, uh, Ginger Snaps, of course Jake and the Kid where I first met uh, Fred. Now, what did you learn about the movie business, some of the truisms about the business of show business by working on these and, oh, dozens and even hundreds of other projects? Probably to bury the attitude and to deal with it later, that be prepared for, especially if you're shooting outside, if you uh, start out in below zero, you could be ending up at plus 30. So be prepared, know your products, and don't have attitude. I want to get into attitude a little later, but I I also want to ask, uh, you mentioned know your products. Can you expand on that and tell us anything you uh, might be willing to share about the advance or progress of uh, products over the decades and and how, in fact, that's had some impact on uh, the application of makeup? In fact, Fred, I'm sitting in Prudence's studio right now and I see gallons of blood and boy, I hope it's not real blood. And I see masks and I see all kinds of vials of, of wow, I don't even know what's in these little things, Prudence. Tell us about these tools of the trade. Um, well, I'd say the biggest thing that have, has changed is adhesives. I mean, a lot of the glues come from the medical field. Like, for instance, let's use the example of facial hair pieces. We used to use spirit gum, which is as old as, you know, spit. Now we've got a silicone adhesive so that if an actor finds that the mustache is starting to slip off, this adhesive never really dries, so they can actually push it back into place. Mind you, that adhesive is like $170 for six ounces, but it's worth its weight. Learning about products, um, going to workshops. I go. I try to go every two years to the Makeup Artist Trade Show down in Pasadena, and you learn what's out What we used to do sometimes with wax, they've got two-part silicone, and it's a platinum, not a tin silicone, which you use on your tubs. Learn about the safety, which is very important. I have a Wemyss book, which every time I order something, I ask for their information on the product. And just to be clear, Wemyss is the industrial standard for validating the safety of the chemicals that you might be working with. Yeah. To know exactly, for instance, the difference between eyelash adhesive, which is latex, and carpet glue. Now, you can make uh, what we call nernies or shredded-looking tendons and, and flesh that we never really apply to an actor. It could be coming out of guts or whatnot. Now, that carpet glue has got a high volume of ammonia. That's dangerous as the eyelash adhesive has been whipped so that based ammonia is practically non-existent. So you're a chemist. You have to be for safety. Actors in the Elizabethan times put lead-based makeups on their skin. You know, they didn't know. So that I look after the safety of my actor and look after my own lifespan, so to speak. (laughs) Were your parents supportive of the path that you uh, uh, began to take? Sort of. (laughs) My mother always took me to 
it was called Playground Players. So she was the one who got me interested in theater. When I started going to theater schools and whatnot, they just sort of went, well, you know, we'll see. They don't know. It wasn't until I started really making work as a, getting work as a makeup artist. I mean, I think they're, they were supportive. It's just they didn't understand the business. It was like, so when will you be home? Um, when they call rap, mom. So when will that be? when they call rap. <laughs> so, no, they were pretty supportive. So what needs to be said then, Prudence, about really the lifestyle of people who work in this business? It's really not nine to five, is it? No, when you are entering this business, you really, from the start, have to have uh, another little support job. One of my first apprentices apprenticed under me, and when there wasn't work, she cleaned homes. And everyone understood that if she had to disappear for two months, their house didn't get clean. Also, if you have young children, it's very hard because you're going to be uh, working long hours. You have to find daycare or a support system. When I had my child, uh, my husband at the time was a syndicated cartoonist, so he worked at home. So that was uh, an easy, easy fit. But yeah, getting into it and understanding a lot of people who in their first beginning, I invite them to set and I say, don't wear heels because, you know, nobody's going to be impressed by that, and you might be crawling up a side of a mountain. Prudence, at some point in time, you, in, in addition to, uh, as a key makeup artist, running the crew or the makeup department, uh, start and, and providing informal training and tips to the, the crew that you might have pulled together, you also started to uh, teach in a more formal sort of situation, meeting and educating a a whole new generation of potential prudies. Yeah, Fred, I, I started getting frustrated by a, a lot of people being conned. Um, makeup schools that say, oh yeah, I've, I've worked in film and television, and I'll do special, I'll teach you special effects, and their special effects was a bruise or a cut. Well, to me, that's called out-of-kit effects. So out of frustration, I thought, well, you know what? In my later years, when things start to slow down, I'm going to uh, start a school and do it right. And I would bring in, for instance, who was ever working at the Citadel so that they could talk about working in a large theater uh, or somebody who worked for print medium for the newspaper, somebody who worked in uh, behind the counter or somebody who worked actually with cancer patients. And then I would bring up a special effects master to actually teach them to sculpt their own prosthetic pieces. So it was sort of giving back, stopping that anger that I had with schools that were trying to build on dreams. Now, speaking of earning a living and actually pursuing your dream in this business, something that really I find striking about your story is that your entry point into the business was as an actor, and you thought you could actually make a living as an actor, and then you found that that was maybe not your calling to earn a living in that way, and you thought, oh, well, I'm going to learn makeup instead. And I think that our listeners are probably thinking, what? Makeup? Earn a living with makeup? I do still tread the boards uh, with an amateur theater company just to get my hit on that. But when you're looking for training, get something that is well-rounded so that if you have to work behind a makeup counter, and I have never had to do that, but if you have to, you can so that you've got that beauty aspect. If you want to uh, make prosthetic pieces and sell them to actors that don't know how to do that, you can do that if you want to make facial hair pieces. 
you can do that. I mean, there was times, my father was a barber. Really, really bad times. The, the first five years of my career, I sort of went, you know, maybe I can do facials on old men and teach them to look after their skin. You know, so I, you do what you have to and you get as many skill sets as you can in this industry. Speaking of the industry, you're saying there's actually a good living to be made doing makeup and all of the associated things, makeup and hair and all of this in the film and television business. Oh, yeah. When we work, we work long hours. Uh, a union project, you'll be paid a certain hourly rate for eight hours. After eight to 12, it goes to time and a half. After 12, it's double. And then at some point, you go into triple. And if they don't give you 10 hours from when you finish to when you come back, you come back at the rate that you left. So if you take care of yourself in this business, and watch your P's and Q's, you can do very well. Now, I know we're kind of uh, coming up to the end of this particular episode, Prudy, but there, you've touched on a couple of notes I'd really, really like to follow up on in, a, in another conversation, if we may. And uh, the, the first of which is something you mentioned earlier in our chat about attitude, uh, whether that be the attitude of the makeup artist or the attitude of the actor in the chair or the producing organization, but also this business of the benefits of being part of the union as opposed to not being part of a union and and what the trade-offs are when you make that jump from uh, non-union status and work to uh, uh, union-regulated status and work. So with all due respect, would it be possible for us to return sometime uh, soon and, and pick up where we left off and, and, and chat about those items? Hey, Fred, let's do that. Sounds great. We'll be back, Prudence. Okay. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.